The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, top of the league, Fulham FC I will add, after a brilliant 3-2 win at Stoke, Marco Silva's boys whilst missing Mitrovic and Wilson. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me is Mr. Farrell Monk. Hello everyone. Uh, Mr. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And making his podcast debut, debut on the BBC this week, debut on Fulhamish at the weekend. What a week has been for Mr. Jack Stroudley. Hello, mate. You all right? No, not too bad. The question that was posed to you at the game yesterday, Jack, which one of those is more important? There's only one right answer. This one, obviously, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the wrong answer. Um, before we get going on Stoke and what was an unbelievable day out, Faz, do you want to kick us off with some three-word reviews? I would absolutely love to. Um, starting off with our... Very, uh, very much our three-word review aficionado Richard Bamber's one, two, three with the one spelled W-O-N. Nice little touch there. Uh, we got Matt Wall's Wee Mooney's Business, Ross McSweeney's Three Under Par, and thir- 30 Frames is uh, Our Moon is Worth. All very good. But I'll finish because of just all the stuff that's been going on Twitter in Fulham Twitter this week with Paul Coombs. 800 happy fans. Faz, you sound like you had a great day on the source because uh, you can barely speak today. I know. I, I mean, you know, I've got a face for podcasts, but I don't have a, exactly a voice for podcasts right now. Um, considering I, I was in the presence of all the three people that I'm speaking with today, I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised other people's uh, voices are, are still going as strong um, after, you know, belting out the Harry Wilson, Mitrovic and Niskins chant for the 500th time uh, when we finally, you know, yesterday. Um, <coughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, hopefully this is, uh, uh, it will get stronger as the, as the uh, podcast just goes on. If I finish this point, just keep going. Dom, a wonderful, wonderful day out at Stoke. Um, started and, and finished with a police escort to the ground. Uh, obviously, the naughty 800 um, were very much Actually, in, it was 749, mate. I mean, to be fair, I think it was... Uh, that's just the usual thing with Stoke, isn't it? They tried to kettle you straight into that pub, kettle you onto the bus, into the ground, and then get out of here, please. It's basically, honest, basically, it was, but I said, it was a relatively good service. Me, I had a good time. Yeah, I said for Stoke, for my, considering my record at Stoke, it was the first time I've seen this win there. I mean, it's, I think it's my third time going. The first time we got relegated. The second time was the one, two seasons ago when, um, what was it, 2-0 was it defeat, I want to say? 2-1, yeah. something like that. Um, straight after, I think, the October international break, I think I was still hungover from Bulgaria away after a few nights in Sofia and was like, why am I going to Stoke? On that. But yeah, so yesterday was totally different. Um, and, you know, all the fans yesterday who were there and were, make, were making great noise and it was great away. I think... You know, I wasn't. I wasn't. I don't usually have high hopes for Stoke away, but to be honest, looking at it um, as if we're comparing away days this season, for me, for me, the ones I've been, the only ones I've been to is Luton and Reading. It's probably second behind Blackburn away, and it was it was great to see. I know we love putting six and seven goals past different different people and things like that, but it was just great to see actually like a tough sort of grinded out game. If that made sense, like yeah. over the last three games have been great in that. It was nice to see it actually grind out a result, and I think it it probably feels more rewarding when you've when you've actually grind out a result, and obviously a big three points, especially with what happened um, with Bournemouth, which we we'll obviously touch on later. But yeah, great, great away day, great point. I mean, who doesn't love a good away day? It's a decent outro, and you're back in London before eight pm. I mean, perfect day, I say. 
Absolutely. Jack, um, it did look like a tough task on paper. We looked at it and thought this is a this is a tricky fixture. This is somewhere where we, we might actually struggle. Then Mitrovic and Wilson uh, are deemed out. And the next thing is we're behind after 39 seconds. And it did look for a minute like this could be a really tricky ask. Yeah, the uh, the Bet365 Stadium, it's not an easy place to go to, uh, Britannia, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, and then with the added Mitro and Wilson both having COVID, it was looking like a bit of a tough task. And then to go 1-0 down inside 30 seconds, you're thinking, oh God, here we go again. Um, and then, yeah, I've, we just kind of, we kind of stats to the game plan and whatnot. And it was a kind of game that, you know, you kind of look at it towards the end of the season. It, it just seems like it's going to be a massive win. Um you know, it's a sign of kind of a side that's made of sterner stuff. You bring players in like Mooney's and Reed who don't necessarily start games. And I thought they both handled them quite well, in particular Mooney's. And yeah, I think just overall, while we weren't necessarily at our best for the 90 minutes, it's one of those games that you look back on and say, oh, that's that's a, that's a massive win. Yeah, absolutely. Faz, it does feel like that. It's probably a more important and a, and a more justified in terms of, you know, league table win than, than any of the ones where we're scoring six plus in the last couple of weeks. We're talking about a really good result against a tough team. Um, and, you know, it's a difficult place to go. Stoke has been, you know, notoriously bad. We thought the worst. And then suddenly you're looking at that and thinking that's more important than maybe any of the last three. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen it time and time again in the past where we failed to capitalise on on our rivals dropping points. And, you know, after the Bournemouth dropping points yesterday and, and Blackburn dro- also dropping points as well, we've seen, uh, you know, cast your mind back to the last championship season when it, it was a case of like quite a lot of the play, quite a lot of the teams around us near the top of the near the top of the table were dropping points and Fulham were doing exactly the same thing and we kept on saying what a missed opportunity. But here we are now, the teams around us are dropping dropping points. We had the we we had those games in hand. We've gone and gone and um, gone and picked up those wins and now the table is looking so much better than it was just before Christmas when we we weren't playing any games and we started to fall behind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dom, we'll get onto the goals. We'll go through the game as, as it goes. But Muniz's first strike is an absolute cork. And now whether he means it or not is, is up for debate. But um, I, I think you look at that. The ball into feet is really, really good from Harrison Reed. He takes a touch and absolutely wallops it. And, and and ultimately, you know, for a player who we were a bit concerned about, who we were you know, stepping into big shoes, in Mitchell's shoes, he has, that's a moment that can, that can turn seasons, isn't it? You know, you get it into your feet, first couple of minutes, you're 1-0 down and, and you hit that strike strike suddenly he looks like a player possessed and you know compare that to what he was like at Derby where it did look a little bit all over the place or in the Bristol City Cup game where things just didn't seem to go his way uh, and it is amazing what a bit of confidence can do for a player yeah I mean he turned into prime Adriana from Pro Evolution Soccer 6 I mean for, for, for that goal and but yeah no I think I, mean, I think Rodrigo Munez some people sort of say oh is he up the level well I think if you if you take out the cup games he's played so against was it Birmingham and against Leeds um if you look at it, his minutes per his minute it was his minutes per goal in in league fixtures must be exceptional because yeah. you know he doesn't he hasn't come on a huge amount of times for Fulham this season and whenever he does I think he's done what's exactly needed of him I think he played very well when he came on in the Blackburn away fixture in, in the seven in the seven nil you saw Reading away you know for for the first, I think it was for the seventh goal when Mitrovic scored. Um, the great work he did, and obviously Mitchell's tapped in the rebound. Obviously, great finish yesterday. Well, we can, you can debate whether he got the um, the, the second, he, the second he goal. He didn't or get not. the second goal because Skybet paid me out seventeen pound fifty on my father bet for Fabio Carvalho. Yeah. Cool. 
But um, I think, yeah, Mi- uh, Muniz, obviously, whenever he's come in, in in league games this season, I think he's done exactly what's needed of him. And I think, you know, people were worried, you could argue, we, we, without our two best players yesterday, without Mitrovic and Harry Wilson. But I think, you know, the play- as, as we mentioned, the players coming did perfectly fine. And I think, you know, that will do wonders for Muniz's confidence as well with those, with those with the, with the goal yesterday and you know, how he played all around, really. And I think, you know, you can see even on his Instagram posts, how much the people in the squad seem to love having him around. And, you know, the, you know, the, the amount of players who were commenting yesterday was, was, was amazing. And you can see he, he, he wants, he wants to make this move work and he wants to, he wants to, I know he's not going to replace Mitchell, but he wants to play as much as he can and all the players are behind him. And yeah, it was great to see, because people have said maybe he's not exactly a like for like replica for when Mitrovic comes in, but I think we played to his strengths yesterday, you know, and he, you know he still people forget I think how young he is sometimes as well, and yeah, great fortune yesterday, and yeah, what a finish for that first goal. Yeah, absolutely. A goal every 89 minutes in the league. Uh, I just did some quick <laughs> maths. So, uh, you know, we're learning very quickly. But yeah, you're trying to take over from Singer as our resident statistician now. Mate, I, do, I, do, I, do my, I do my best. I do my best to fulfill all the roles on this podcast. Um, you know, ho- sometimes host, sometimes stato, sometimes poetry. You know, you know how it is. Um, but look, Jack, obviously, we then go and take the lead. And I mean, I don't I don't mind who you're giving the goal to. Um, it was a bit of a weird one in the way in because no one realised it went in until the players started celebrating. Um, and then there was a kind of like really bizarre celebration. Celebration. Dom was in the concourse, obviously. Uh, and I just it. come out the toilet. And, here, and I was scored. like, "What's going? What, what was like? What's going on? Like, who who has scored? Not for us, as in which team has scored? Because it didn't. If we'd scored like an equivalent of the first goal, you'd hear a loud roar, but it wasn't that loud. So I was like, "Have they scored? Have we got a penalty? Like, what what on earth is going on here?" Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it reminded me a lot of when we played Huddersfield at the beginning of the season. I think Josh Onam has scored um, and there was a delayed reaction of about five seconds. He's also in the concourse for that. <laughs> Do you there see any a... goals? <laughs> uh, I missed three. I think I missed three on Tuesday. So what was that? four goals missed out of nine. Not bad. Not Decent bad. record. Decent week for you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I say it's very similar to the Onam one um, in terms of a very delayed reaction. It's quite funny. We watch, I watched about the highlights earlier and the goal goes in and there's kind of a collective groan about Stoke fans that are kind of behind the goal when it's, when that's, that, that scored. And then it just goes dead silent for a good five, five, ten seconds. And then everyone just kind of celebrates. But yeah, it was a bit of a weird goal. Um, but yeah, obviously a good time to score right before the break as well, even if Don missed it. Yeah, absolutely. A beautiful run from Carvalho as well, Jack. It was, you know, mm. he created that all himself. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. He also he also starts off the move. Um, he actually wins he wins it in midfield, and we've seen that we've seen that tenacity from Carvalho over and over again. And it's it's brilliant because he actually like fights his way through three Stoke bodies to claim it, play a lovely ball through to Deco Dover Reed that totally cuts out. I think it was Phil Jagielka, and then obviously follows follows it in. How many times do you see pundits uh, when they're analysing goals or analysing you know midfielders play? Like when they play the pass, they don't just look at it. They're always like, now now go and make the run. Now and go and get that goal. And that's exactly what he did. It was a wonderful, wonderful goal all round, I think. Yeah, I mean, aside from not knowing it had gone in, it was it was really enjoyable, and uh, that was that that was the moment. Um, obviously, Dom. Then we pl- passed up a few opportunities to, well, to, to kind of seal the deal, really. And it did feel like there was going to be an equaliser. You know, as Stoke started to get into the game, um, and we'll come on to them feeling like they were going to get an equaliser again after the third one. But um, you know, at this point, it was Fulham had two or three good opportunities start of the first half. Fab again involved in pretty much everything, um, and then suddenly, you know, out of nowhere, Lewis Baker hits an absolute rocket. Now, not that out of nowhere in terms of how Stoke were playing, but just what a hit for one. And it, it, it spent so long in the air that I shouted, good hit. 
um before it went in and then i was like oh no um that's not what i meant to do at all there and i was like oh he has hit that well though um and then it goes in the back of the net and you're like oh right we've had a <laughs> we've had a problem here but you know, Fulham have conceded a couple now um, of late and you know, we've conceded a couple of worldies. You know, it does feel like at the moment, you know, obviously the first goal is is the first goal and there's some defensive lapses of concentration early doors, but you can appreciate that. Um, it does feel at the moment we're only conceding worldies. Yeah, I think there was a, there was a stat, I think it might have been going into the Birmingham game or maybe it was going to the Bristol game that, you know, we had like the best attack and best defence in the league. I was like, if we got the best defence in the league, I'm really concerned for the rest of the other 23 teams because like some of the, the, the lapses have gone concentration we've had but it's it is a, it's a great hit from Lewis Baker and you know Lewis Baker if you've seen any of Lewis Baker from his time at Middlesbrough from his time at Vitesse on him you know how much technical quality he's got it's a great hit I had a few people saying who've, who've seen it back when we watched it on the train home saying oh I think Rodak could save that I was like well he has actually levered it into in, it in, moves into the so like, much in the air yeah there's there's, there's 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 not really there's not really too much that I think Rodak could do about it I mean yes you People could argue, oh, you could probably get across faster, but I don't think so. I think it's just a great hit from Lewis Baker. Um, and so that showed the technical quality he's got. But yeah, I think that it wasn't... Yesterday was the most we've been tested since the Sheffield United game at home just before Christmas. And yeah, when they, when they got back into the game, obviously we had to we had to then sort of regroup again and go for it. But yeah, I mean, there was plenty of times, as you said, at, at, when we were 2-1 up and we were 3-2 up. That, you know, Stoke were, were sort of front of the door. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Bristol and it wasn't like Birmingham where we could just turn up for five minutes and score three goals. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and Jack, obviously the, the goal for the third is um, an absolute thunderbolt from, from Bobby and does look like the chance might go. Obviously, Muniz hits the bar. Is this, someone did ask, is that's the closest anyone's ever come to a hat-trick without scoring a hat-trick? He's actually got one goal, but um, he might have come as uh, close as anyone will ever come to scoring a hat-trick while scoring only once. Yeah, it's quite unlucky for Moon is, to be honest with you. I'm sure he would have loved the hat-trick, but um, and only getting one. But yeah, in terms of the goal, it's really good technique from Bobby. Kind of comes out to him and he fizzes it into the top top corner, um, especially after. And then, obviously, I'm sure we're going to go on to it. He then kind of went under a little bit of pressure from Stoke. And I remember looking at you, Jack, and saying, oh, God, is he going to end up a Tresman? Because I was, I was convinced that... I've never Stoke... heard that before, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was convinced that Stoke were going to score, but... I think they hit the post and I think Rodak made a good save and then, yeah, we saw, saw it out in the end. But Faz, maybe that's the, the the big thing here. That's a real character to to go, you know, one, go behind, claw it back, go in front, be pegged back and then go and win it with whilst missing some key players. It, it really did impress me, Fulham, yesterday. Like, it, it felt like there was a real togetherness, a real mentality, a real shift in attitude. And it's called, it was, we're not, you know, a lot of people, we said, with the team that was out, with Mitrovic out, with Wilson out, you would have offered a lot of people a point yesterday and they would have said, thanks very much. But Fulham were just not having any of it. No, it, exactly, and it's you know it's just one of the one of the many things from yesterday that was such a a huge positive, and yeah, I, I think that also we did you know towards the end of the game, uh, especially when they brought on that young winger, I think his his name is like Phila Jean Bid Bidace. He's on loan. Who from was Villa. yeah, good player. Who, who was absolutely terrorizing Dennis Adoy at right back, but we managed to managed to hold on for the victory. They weren't able to to. Um, you know, Stoke create that many clear-cut chances apart from that weird one, which um, I think, right, Phillips hit, dribbled onto the post right at the end. But apart from that, it was was largely comfortable. Like, I, I didn't think, to you know, for the first time in quite some time when we've, you know, been under pressure towards the end of the game that we might give up the points. Um, I, I never felt as if Fulham were in danger of surrendering the lead, um, uh, even though they'd already conceded two already 
uh, from two good goals. Um, especially as we've talked about previously, the Stoke team are a pretty good Stoke team. They're going quite well under Michael O'Neill. We know how good he is, and uh, especially since coming um, coming back to Stoke. And um, yeah, and again, also they're a young, they're also quite a young team as well. Stoke, apart from like the obvious old heads in the team that's probably at, you know whacking up their average age by con- considerably um you know so it, against that youthful team we thought who they could smell blood considering that when they saw the team sheet come out without Mitrovic and, and Wilson and they started with their tails up but we managed to overcome that all and it was it you know it, it just still feels really good even today yeah absolutely in fact it feels so good it feels so good it's probably time to play this Three consecutive wins, top of the league. That is the horn, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Sammy insisted that I played it. I actually feel like it's going to jeopardise our chances in, in the long run. But but ultimately, uh, I have to do what I'm told by the big boss. Um, so you, you get to these moments and, uh, and you do what you're told. Um, Philogene Bedace, interestingly, was born in Hammersmith uh, and grew up in Ealing. So there you go. One that Fulham let slip through Fulham the is net. breaking news. Yeah, Fulham is breaking news. He was uh, born in... Born in Chelsea, uh, born in Hampstead Hospital, so can't uh, can't knock it. He's a he's a local. Too, lad. too far north for me, that though, isn't it? It is Sorry, too far yeah. north. Look, Dom, let, let, let's kind of look at the game as a, as a whole. And yes, there are things that you can, can be concerned about. One of them is Dennis Adoy. We'll come on to the injury uh, to Kenny Tete in in the questions. Um, the fact that Philogene Bedace was able to get at him so regularly, so quickly, um, and saw him as a as a potential weakness is is something we look at. But ultimately, all you can look at from yesterday, I think, is that is a huge win especially in the circumstances and and overall uh, a massive massive result for Fulham yeah I think that's the only way to look at it I think I, I said it going to the game yesterday although I said I predicted a 3-1 win I thought today was just about getting the three points I don't care how it comes about whether we win 1-0 whether we absolutely batted them I couldn't I couldn't really care less it was a, it was a massive three points because if you look at our sort of upcoming fixtures probably between now and the end of February you'd say this was the toughest one out of all of them I'd argue and to get three points and you know yeah, we, as I said we didn't make it easy but we did get the three points in the end is, is absolutely massive compiled with obviously the results from yesterday with you know Hull doing us an absolute favour in the sort of the last seven days or so getting wins against Blackburn and Bournemouth and I think you know what's ridiculous is obviously we went on that run sort of really pu- just after just after Blackburn 7-0 game sort of in between that period and um, sort of uh, end of December where you know we're eight points clear now nine if you see our sort of absolutely ridiculous goal difference that what would have happened if we turned up in that period? Like, like how many points clear would we be? Would we be now? We didn't draw those games. We didn't lose Sheffield United. It's, it's it's absolutely crazy. And I think, you know, we're really showing now. And I think the the break we had, I think, might have worked in our favour in regard to that. You know, it allowed us to reset and really go again in that. You know, because in the in that Bristol City game in the cup, I thought, oh, we we haven't really sort of changed anything, and we are still looking quite turgid. Albeit it was the first game in sort of two or three weeks, but yeah, we've really turned it on in the in the last sort of four or five games, and yeah, it's it's, it's great to see. And you know, we, and the games are coming thick and fast now. It's weird we've got sort of two midweeks, so actually no midweek games are full. And it seems like <laughs> looking at the schedule, we've got one every single week. But yeah, to be eight points clear, nine with our superior goal difference at this stage of the season is simply great to see. Yeah, I mean, in fact, we'd be 19 points clear if we'd won all those games. So uh, they are quick maths. Um, Jack, just on a last kind of point on that, how good was Tom Kearney yesterday? Obviously, Munoz will get the headlines, but TC, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. And he has been brilliant since um, 
coming in for Seri and Seri went to AFCON, just in the middle of the park, just bringing the play together. Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later on as to whether Seri gets his place back or not. Yeah, but a lot of I, questions I, about it. But yeah, I just think, yeah, brilliant once again from Kenny. He's really bringing probably the best he's been since that under Slavisa Ikanovic during the 23 undefeated days, I think, at the moment. He's playing really good football. Absolutely. Right, after the break, we are going to be having a little look at the rest of the league, a couple of results that went our way yesterday, and, and kind of discussing what... You know, what needs to happen over the next couple of games if Fulham are to just seal this deal and get the job done? Uh, and then after that, we'll be getting on to some questions. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with me, Jack Collins, Don Betts. Hello, hello. Farrell Monk. Hello, friends. And Jack Stroudley. Hello. Right, let's talk about the rest of the league table. Now, obviously, Fulham have gone eight points clear at the top of the table, which is nice to see, isn't it? Nice to see. But uh, Bournemouth slipping up again. Uh, and we've seen a lot of things on Twitter, Faz, from uh, a lot of Bournemouth fans basically like saying that they were basically secure in the top two. And now it's not too, you know, not looking too shabby off them ending up outside of the top six. You know, Borough win that game in hand. Uh, we're, we're talking about a team who might be five points off slipping out of the top six it's all gone very very sour uh down with the cherries yeah and it's 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 funny how how much we were talking maybe about 10 games ago as little as that just we were like well it's definitely going to be a three horse race with Fulham, Bournemouth and West Brom and since then West Brom have completely not completely fallen away but certainly you know, doubting their position near the Drop top 10 of the points table. in the last five games, not not acceptable yeah. if you want to challenge. Not great, reason. not great when you're a team that definitely should be challenging at, at the business end of the table. And then Bournemouth have uh, started to fritter away with a couple of quite poor results. Let's, you know, let's be upfront about it. You know, the, the last second loss against Luton was, I mean, admittedly, I didn't watch all that game, but I can't, I can't say that they particularly played that well or well enough to even get a point and Luton battled well and got into it. I've I've not caught up with the highlights or anything or read any reports about the 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 match that they lost against Hull uh yesterday as well. Uh sort of analysis that you tune into Fulhamish for. I haven't <laughs> I haven't I haven't watched or seen anything about it, so I'm going to comment about it. But you know, th- we know that Hull are not a particularly good team. Um and Bournemouth lost. They they lost at home and you know, I've just been been told that you know, like you're saying uh, about uh, the stuff that's going on Twitter from from Bournemouth fans, and it's all it sounds like all the similar stuff that we yeah. that Fulham fans talked about um, when Scott Parker was manager. Like, don't get me wrong, I like Scott Parker. I thought I thought he did a pretty good job under the under the circumstances, but of course you kind of ignore all the all the all the things that we complained about in terms of like they're not great football, and we tended just to sit on leads and. Um, and it sounds like the fans have started to pick up those things as well. And if it, you know, for it, it sounds like it's just going to be the same old Scott Parker. And maybe, maybe he might turn things around and get Bournemouth promoted. But are they going to be in a really good position to to keep Bournemouth in the Premier League next year? But you know, they need to get there first of all. And while they're dropping points and everyone else is is picking them up, you know, that might not be a possibility for them because given that given quality they have at their disposal and given the strength of the league around us they should they should be up with us let's let's be quite honest they should be up there but they're not 
Absolutely. And Dom, this, this squad does feel like it is better than, than, than losing at home to Hull. Now, obviously, you can have you can have bad results. You can have weird ones where, you know, Fulham lost, obviously, to Reading at home in, in earlier in the season. But Bournemouth feel they're on like a, a little bit of a slide. They're not playing particularly well. There's a lot of shots from distance. They're not creating big chances in the box. Um, it is, as Fat says, a lot of what we've heard before. Yeah, it reminds me quite a lot of when we came out of lockdown and with Project Restart or whatever they were calling it in the championship at the time. It's quite similar to that, I think, because we lost to what Leeds and Brentford, didn't we? Yeah. And then I think people were looking over our shoulders like we could genuinely finish seventh here. I think Cardiff were maybe six points away from us at the time. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of that. And I said, the comments we're seeing from Bournemouth fans is nothing new to any Fulham fan. And also, it, it's a bit it's a bit like the Ranieri situation at Watford in regards to that. Like Both these situations, we've warned Watford fans, we've warned Bournemouth fans that this will happen. <laughs> and both have, and then we're, you know, running right at the top of the league. And I think, you know, Scott Parker, you know, I, I don't even know, I don't even need to watch his post-match interview, and I can probably guess what he what he said. You know, so he'll probably mention the word moments, margins, probably mentions, yeah, margins, margins yeah. moments, all the usual stuff, the, the usual Scott Parker, the Scott Parker bingo card. But yeah, I think it's, I said they have even when they played against us, I wasn't that impressed with them. They basically scored like a FIFA fifteen kickoff goal <laughs> to, to go one nil up, and then I respect really the Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they basically didn't really offer much more than that. And I think with Bournemouth is they've they've generally got to be worried because if you're looking at the teams in and around the playoffs, and you're looking at the teams who are in the top six right now, they are the out of form team. Yeah. The re- all the all the other all the other teams, bar obviously Blackburn in the last couple of games, have all been pushing themselves up. They, they, you know, I, I know they, they they probably will finish in the top six, and I don't think they've got anything to worry about in that regard. But they do got to be ca- they do have to be careful because teams are re- you know going for those players is going is going to be close this year. There's plenty of teams outside the top six who still believe they didn't get a chance. You know, it's ridiculous that QPR, if they win their game in hand, can can go second in the league. I mean, uh, I think I mean, they've won four in a row. That, that that's how they're there. And, and yeah, you know, and I, I think, I, think but, but, I mean, if they did get second place, I think it's good news for us because it means a guaranteed six points next season, and it means we only need two more teams to finish above. And if Newcastle go down, I think it gives even a better chance of, of of staying up next season if we were to go up. So yeah, I think Bournemouth really do need to watch out because they need to from a Bourne perspective anyway, need to stop this line. I'm perfectly happy for them to continue this terrible vein of form. What I will say for Scott Parker's benefit is that um, the amount of times, especially in the chat, in his, the promotion season of the championship with Fulham, was that the amount of times it looked like our form was going to fall off a cliff. We'd, we'd have like two bad results in a row and then we were Fulham were able to turn it around. So I don't necessarily think that by any means this will be the end of Bournemouth's promotion run. They probably have the right manager there to turn turn something like this around because it did happen quite a lot in the championship that, you know, like just after Project Restart, we we lost the Brentford game, we lost the Leeds game quite badly, and then we went on a winning one straight away. So I, I don't think this is the end. This They'll probably try it. They'll probably will we'll turn it around and get back get back towards the top end. Yeah, I mean, look, I have no doubt that with a squad this talented, Bournemouth are going to be in the conversation for the automatics. But Jack, when we're looking at this and thinking QPR win that game in hand, they, they go second. Um, one... Some credit probably to QPR. They've gone and have won a couple of tricky games of late. They won obviously against West Brom. They've gone to Coventry where we struggled so badly and uh, and won two one. It was a massive result for them, I think, um, especially considering the nature of that eighty eighth minute winner. Um, you, you look at this and think this is a side that feel like they know how to grind out results, feel like they know how to get it done uh, when it matters. Uh, and ultimately, I wouldn't bet against it. I said at the start of the season, I thought they'd come up by the playoffs. Uh, it doesn't feel against the odds that they'd 
they'd go one better. Yeah, credit to them to be fair. You're right. They're 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 playing really good football at the moment. They said a late win at Coventry yesterday. According to their fans, they took about I don't know what ten thousand is the Rico Arena. If not <laughs> not not mention it. Um, but I yeah, think they I'll, took I'll, over Coventry, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, that, uh, you know, the, the, their police force were, uh, were letting them know how many people they were bringing. So they must have been delighted to have to deal with it. You know, that's most <laughs> of their home attendance, isn't it? On the average in 13,000 the Loftus Road this year. <laughs> something about that. And then didn't, didn't the, um, the, the police force for QPR tweet something about Fulham? Basically, it was a huge nibble about how they've got more fans and it was all a bit weird. But Despite it, the fact we took the same amount to a 12.30 kickoff. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, in terms of just the the promotion race and whatnot, I think it's very interesting. I don't, I really wouldn't want to put my neck out in terms of who else. I think I think Fulham are going to go. I will put my neck out. I think Fulham are going to go up in terms of who who's going to come up with us. I'm not really too sure. Going back, going back, kind of. I know we've mentioned Bournemouth, but going back, I was I was looking earlier at their their run of fixtures towards the end of the season. It's absolutely horrendous. They've got Borough, Sheffield United, West Brom, Coventry away then Fulham, then Blackburn. It's a really, really god-awful run of games for them. Um, and then you look at the kind of the other teams around, it's just really, it's the same as every year, really. You're just looking for someone to kind of grab it by the scruff of the neck, kind of like Fulham having the last few games, just go on a run of form, and like QPR are doing. Um, as much as I wouldn't want QPR to get promoted, and I don't really want Brentford to start, although they probably will, it would be quite funny if there was a Premier League with all four of Fulham, Chelsea, Brentford, and QPR. I think that would be quite fun. Yeah, it'd be at least um, it'd be at least time for for us to have a bit of a laugh, Farrell. No matter if, uh, and we might win some derbies in the Premier League, which is rare. Yeah, exactly. Although seeing Bournemouth slide and Thomas Frank absolutely losing it, getting sent off yesterday was was an absolute joy. You know, I think hopefully this tide is is this whole sort of like Brentford loving that's coming from from uh certain media outlets is going to is going to slide as much as uh, as much as uh, Bournemouth. Yeah, but they've got really they've got really big intensity in their pre match huddle, Farrell. So <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's the reason they're gonna stay up. Someone said Stoke with spreadsheets and I thought that was a bit unfair to Stoke to be honest, who I thought offered a fair bit more. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean I'm just loving them just losing. It's great. At the start of the season I was like, I heard they obviously they won their first few games. Um and they had a good start, and I was just like, I'm just not watching the Premier League for a while. I'm just, I'm really out of it. And then ever ever since I've heard they're losing, I'm like, right, I'm going to watch every match highlight now. I'm well back into the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we we, we enjoy it nonetheless. Uh, no matter who comes up with us, um, if Fulham are going up, then everyone's going to be very pleased, right? We've got loads of questions, so after the break, we are going to be dealing with as many of those as we can. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. With me, Jack Collins, Don Betts, Farrell Monk and Jack Stroudley. And let's start with a question we kind of touched on a little bit earlier from TJ Foggy. He says, Silver, Marcus Silver said earlier this window that we're not interested in a right back anymore and he's happy with our situation. Does that change now with Kenny Tete's injury? Obviously, Jack, we don't know the full extent of that injury yet and how long he's going to be out, but it didn't look like a good one. When he came back on, he was hobbling all over the place. It didn't look like a you know, I think Fulham thought it might be a, a kind of knock that he could run off it very much didn't look like that and, and Dennis Adoy was terrorised as we said earlier by uh, Philogene Bidace um, do you think Fulham will be looking differently at that situation if that Kenny Tete injury is as bad as we fear? Yeah like I said I think it all depends on the Kenny Tete injury situation how long he's out for um, I, in theory um, with Dennis Adoy I mean he's, he's obviously kind of been at the club for a while now but in terms of one-on-ones he's, he's really not to the same level of Kenny Tete. Um, I kind of thought we might ne- maybe look at a right back anyway. I, I think kind of when it's either 
this window or next window, assuming we get promoted, because if Kenny Tete gets injured and I have to see Dennis Adore in the Premier League again, I think my head will spin. But I think depending on what happens, yeah, depending on the Kenny Tete injury, how long he's out for, I would quite like to see us go in for a right back, even if it's, I know, kind of sicker loans now, even if it's just a six-month loan, and just kind of see if he's any good or not, and then potentially an option to buy in the summer. Yeah, obviously we were linked with Reggie Cannon in the summer, Farrell, um, who's who's still above his day. He's actually been, his place in the team's been usurped, uh, to be honest. So he hasn't actually played all that much football in the Primeira. But you you look at that and you think Fulham have obviously let Cyrus Christie go to, to Swansea. We've seen Marlon Fossey go out on loan um, down to Bolton. It does feel like perhaps we're a little bit light now if this injury is bad. Yeah, yeah, you, you you're you're spot on there. Because if Kenny, the Kenny Tete, if he's out, if he's out of the picture, then we are looking automatically. The quality that we have available there in that position is really low, and obviously, we we should never forget about uh, Steven Sessegnon as well, who, admittedly, I've never really been that uh, keen on anyway. So, yeah, we definitely if if it's a long injury, we definitely need to bolster there. But who do you get in? Because, um. You don't want to get, you know, you've already got someone of, of huge quality of Kenny Tete. Do you go for someone even better or, or depending on who, who who's available and whatnot? But you never know who the, you know, who the, the transfer department are, are looking at these days. It, it could come from, it could come from absolutely anywhere. We might pick up another Brazilian right back. We might pick up um, someone from the Belgian fourth division. We, we never know who, who's on their, who's on their radar. But, you know, after, I mean, I, I love Dennis Adoy. I, um, I love that he's still in and around the team, and I love that every every time that we think that we might see the last of Dennis Adoy, he might be moved on. He sort of kicks on and gets back into the team, but you could see that it, his quality is not expected; it's not up to the standard of if we are challenging for the title in the, in, in the championship. Really, we probably do need someone there to to go there. I mean, I, I can't really think of any other person in this partic- in this team that could fill in at right back uh, off the top of my head. Harrison Reed actually played the fair, fair bit there for, for oh, yeah, Blackburn when he went there, but I, I would be loath to move Harrison Reed out of the middle of the team where he's just so incredibly effective. Um, Dom, a quick one from Charles Jones. He says, does Mitrovic go straight back into the side? Rodrigo was amazing yesterday and in any other context would probably be nailed on to start the next game. Um, James Baldwin says yes. And Romeo Dunn with a great response. He said, crutches are great, but as soon as I'm healed, I'm using my leg. <laughs> I, th- I think that pretty much sums it up. I mean, he scored 27 goals and got like six or seven assists in what, 20, 25 league games, something like that, 24 league games. Like, yes, of course he goes back into the side. <laughs> like, I know, I know Muniz has played, has played well when he, when he came, when he's come in this season, but yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. Mitrovic just goes straight back into the side, I think. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Um, there is probably a, a case to be made, though, Jack, that, you know, Charles is right. In any other context, the, given the game that Rodrigo Muniz had yesterday, he starts for almost anyone else, right? You know, you, you look at what he did and what he achieved and how useful he was. Um, and maybe he's given, not Marco Silva, a selection headache, because I wouldn't suggest that, that that's just that's a bit ridiculous. But you look at this and think maybe Marco Silva does turn to him with 20 minutes to go instead of bringing him on for five minutes at the end 
end. And I don't mean that in terms of uh, if we need a goal, because obviously Alexander Mitrovic is the best striker in this division by some distance, probably the best striker that this division has ever seen. But he has given him something to think about if, you know, maybe it is just a little bit more rotation. He can trust Mooney's a little bit more. We get a little bit more minutes at the end of games. And obviously, I think he would have come on in the midweek game against Birmingham if Harrison Reed wasn't a walking red card um, and had to be substituted. But it, it did feel like the, the, these opportunities have been limited. Perhaps there's a little bit more faith in his ability now. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's, it's nice that we've got um, another attacking player in Muniz who is obviously kind of good, but being quite good for us. Um, I agree that I think Mitrovic starts for us. It's in, in any other position, you probably could make the argument. But like, as you mentioned, when you've got a forward in Mitrovic, who is the best in the league, um, I, I don't necessarily think Muniz starts. But then, like I said, it's, got, it's kind of good for Marcus Silver. He's got, at least it's right. If um, I need to do some rotation, I've got someone in Muniz who can come in and do a job and a good job at that as well. Absolutely. I mean, also there's there's Jay Stansfield and Oscar asked about him. You know, he's now third choice striker. He says, what should we do about Jay Stansfield? Such a promising young player with two quality strikers ahead of him. Don't want him to leave as he's out of contract this summer. It is worth considering that the Stansfield, you know, again, if we were not playing brilliantly yesterday and we were, you know, we were looking for a goal, Stansfield might have come on. But ultimately we've seen Muniz turn up. And, and ultimately now you think about how many opportunities Jay Stansfield is going to get in this team and how many minutes he's going to get and the answer is probably limited. Yeah, and I don't know whether it was almost an experiment for Marco Silva that he probably wanted to see what Muniz was like over a full 90 minutes and whether he would be able to last the distance and play at the quality expected. Um, so he didn't need to change things too much just in case that you know, Fulham uh, 10 minutes ago need a goal and they were like, well, no, no, let's just stick with Muniz because we know that he can he can last the distance. But also because he needs, he also needs Muniz to get up to absolute full, full match practice in case Mitrovic is out for longer than the two weeks. Um, but yeah, it is, it, it must be a bit frustrating for someone like Jay Stansfield because we know he's got obvious quality. I mean, that goal he scored away at Birmingham in, in the cup it was outstanding. Um, but he's still so young. He's still absolutely young. Um, you know, maybe we don't want to do what we have done with with other players in similar where we start playing them uh, and their contract is up almost immediately and then they, uh, they get snapped straight away, um, which we definitely don't want again. No, absolutely not. Um, we'll come on. There's a couple of academy prospects that we're, we're going to talk about a little bit later. But um, two questions on Anthony Knockart. Um, one from Killian Murphy, who said, should we retain Knockart this window as a squad player or even just for his newfound role of shithousing to wind down the clock in stoppage time? Or time to move him on, assuming that we are getting promoted. Um, similar from Red, at Red Red Not Good, who said, thoughts on Knockart look good when he came on. I mean, he was due a decent game, Dom. He, he gets one season if you're lucky yeah um but i think i think the knockout i said the only thing he's good at is time wasting like he's 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 he's, he's exceptional at it but i think it's the only thing he's good at and if an offer was to come in let's say i don't think someone's going to come in for a permanent deal but if someone wants to come in for loan offer and they're willing to pay 100% of his wages i would let him go i think there's rumors of maybe teams uh, in saudi arabia being interested in him as well this window I mean, if he, if I mean, I think because if Cavalero is going to be coming back back fit soon in the next couple of weeks, I'd say that's your that's an option you, I'd rather have on the bench as opposed to knock. I understand he's probably used up his two good finishes of the season early on against Huddersfield in, in, in Ivan Cavalero. But if I say with Anthony Knocker, I'm not against keeping him, but if an offer does come in, which 
you know, which is a hundred percent of his wages being paid, or someone comes in with a transfer offer, I would be, I would be happy for seeing him go. As I said, I don't. When it comes to actual footballing ability, I don't, I don't see, I don't really see it there what he offers. But if, when it comes to a game like Saturday and it comes to time wasted, I'm more than happy for him to come on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, Jack. Obviously, we were stretched, um, and he came on, and, and weirdly, he does feel like the most natural fit for that Harry Wilson role if Harry Wilson isn't there, because the whole you know thing is based on a player cutting in onto their left foot, they're being able to unleash from distance being able to move in out Harry Wilson is obviously streets ahead in terms of composure uh, and, and what he's brought to this team this season knockout does feel like the natural second choice in that position and obviously Bobby Reed did brilliantly uh, at the weekend and he, he did a, a lot of good work on that side but it's a very different kind of role um now I'm not saying that, that we should necessarily keep knockout but he got a good reception for the fans that he came on I think to begin with ironically and then he did some nice stuff uh, and everyone was like oh this is nice this is fun isn't it um but it, it does feel like he's a player that you know as squad options go it's not the worst thing in the world yeah, he's not a bad player to have in and around the squad. Yeah, he's 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 like you said, Dommy, he's done what he needs to do. He's a bit, a bit of a passion merchant, just kind of runs round time waste a little bit. And yeah, he he got he got in and had, had a shot and then he went out for a corner and whatnot. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't use him more regularly than what he, what we did there at Stoke. Um like I said I'd rather have Cavalera on the bench than than the knocker. And I, I think in I keep going back to in terms of this transfer window or the next one, we probably will go in for another winger just in terms of depth and whatnot, just a bit bit more quality. Um, and when that happens, I think that then opens the door for Anthony Knockart to go out to elsewhere. Yeah, and no, I, I think that's probably fair enough. Um, let's just talk a little bit about Kearney, about Seri, about the way that this has all happened. And George says, was Seri causing an imbalanced midfield? And is, has his temporary departure to AFCON been an accidental miracle? Um, I think there's some similar questions to all over the place. Fulham transfer said to us, with the form Thomas Kearney is in and the clear balance that's brought to the side when him and Harrison Reed play together, does Seri get back in this side? Um, Faz, it's an interesting one because obviously Seri's been so good this season, but it does feel like a really nice balance about this side at the moment. Yeah, and the key thing is that balance term because, yeah, Seri has been quality. He, he did go off the ball a little bit. He wasn't he wasn't as positive on the ball as, as we would expect of of John Mikel Seri. I always feel like with with Seri his quality shows so easily in the fact that every one of his first touches is always a pass. Um he's always thinking about he's always thinking about how to progress the ball uh and move it really quickly to start off Fulham attacks and that's you know you you can't at this level is just so invaluable. But that does mean when Seri is playing in that position, Harrison Reed we as we've seen has been playing a bit more further forward, which I Obviously, I love Harrison Reed, but we know that how good he is at playing in in the Seri role. Um, and then that then then you're sort of thinking to yourself, well, then you're then you're trying to make a choice for the other centre midfielder, more attacking player uh, between Tom Kearney and Fabio Carvalho, and that's that's probably a tough choice as well. And then you're trying to sort of like keep all of those three three happy, and maybe you know it just shows that the quality in this team that someone like Seri can leave Reed goes into his more natural position and has allowed Kearney now to play in his in his sort of favoured uh, position that we've seen over the last few weeks where he's absolutely flourished um, but when Seri comes back I, I, I don't know what the right answer is because it's such a wonderful position to be in that whether we what we decide to do but I think the choice would be considering what we have seen I think the choice is basically who you play in that 
defensive centre mid role between Seri and Harrison Reed because given the form of Tom Kearney, it's so it would be so difficult to drop him and it'd be and it'd be so difficult to drop Fabio Carvalho as well. So and I think that also given our form, I, I at the moment I'd probably stick with Harrison Reed when when Seri gets back from from um, from Afcon as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously Sarah's been so good and, and there are obviously different strokes for different folks in, in terms of there are games, Dom, where you want that kind of unlocking ability that Seri has, that kind of metron, metronomic thing that he can keep having and it just keeps teams keeps him moving constantly it keeps uh, opposition running um but right now i don't think it's an automatic drop back into this side i, I think you, you keep it and then until something goes wrong no yeah but i think people still forget that tom kenny just can't stop can't, i don't think he'd start playing every single game for the rest, rest of the season i think rotation there is going to be key obviously it depends obviously how every coast get on in the african cup of nations but yeah so i'm not saying he's, he comes back and he's directly into the side but it's not like i think just because we had a poor run of form in november when he was in the side it means that's going to return if he comes back in. So I think for me, yes, he doesn't come straight back into the side, but I think he's definitely got a big part to play. And as we know, Tom Kenny, with the midweek games we've got coming up, he can't be playing two, three games a week. So I think he is going. To, I think it's going to be sort of a definitely a, sort of a rotational role as opposed to what it's been since the start of the season, where he's sort of been playing week in, week out. Yeah, no, Jack, an interesting one. Was, was Harrison Reed potentially a little bit lucky yesterday to stay on the field? Um, there was that tackle where he sort of launched himself and it did look a little bit naughty. Um, at the time, I remember looking at it thinking, oh, he could, could, could be gone here. Um, obviously, he then went on and produced a masterclass and obviously his driving from deep um, was, was, was such a crucial part of, of that first goal. And in general, I think, through the whole game, he was absolutely brilliant, but potentially a wee bit lucky. Yeah, I I agree. I, I was the same as you when I saw that challenge. I thought, oh, could could this be one of those that goes against him? But then, yeah, it, it again didn't get sent off, and then he just kind of done what he usually does. I, I just think hey, he's such a fantastic footballer who is a Premier League player, one hundred percent. And I think we it kind of went under the radar, in my opinion, that we were quite lucky to keep hold of him in the summer. And I think the fact that we he was playing for a relegated side um, last season maybe went under the radar of a few clubs um, because I thought that for the vast majority of last season, he held himself quite well and he's doing it again in the championship and I'm sure next year we'll do the same again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, last couple of questions were about Marek Rodak and there's uh, there's sort of two schools of thought here um, that we're seeing. Uh, Oscar Rowland says, is Rodak Premier League quality or should we look to strengthen that position come the summer? Uh, Michael B says, time for a goalkeeper change? Question mark. Uh, Rodak arguably accountable for three of the last six goals conceded. Doesn't get as much stick because he's an academy product. Um, but David Bray said, have we been unlucky to concede as many as we have in the recent run the amount of long shots slash worldies going in against us is ridiculous um the truth is probably as usual Farrell somewhere in the middle yeah um there's nothing that I've personally seen from Rodak which makes me think his form has suffered um I I think he's been playing fine um I, I think also it's kind of highlighted that he hasn't actually faced that many shots on target so the goals that have gone in um the goals that have gone in, I wouldn't, none of them have been, I don't think they're that Rodak's fault, to be honest. So I, I just, I don't think there's anything that I've seen where it goes, okay, let's put, let's put Rodak out um, and get Gazaniga in again. I mean, Gazaniga played in that cup game and was very, very good, I thought. Um, but Rodak hasn't done anything for me that warrants questioning his position. You know, we're, we're, we've conceded a, more goals than we usually have done recently, but that's only in the last two games. And each one of those goals, I, I just 
can't see it's his fault at all. Yeah, I mean, I think the one for me that I remember thinking I think he should do better where was the one against Sheffield United. And obviously he's hit early and, and all of the above. But that was the goal. I remember thinking, oh, I think Rodak should do better there. And if Gazaniga had done that, there would have been people out for blood. Um, yeah. But- uh, aside from that, I, I'm, I'm I'm with you. I think that there's not been too much that you can look at him and think, oh, it, it, it's all his fault. Um, last one, Dom. Um, this is a, a slightly more fun one. I quite like it. Tor says, will we win the championship in March or April? <laughs> March. No, I don't know. I'm, I haven't actually looked into actually mathematically what what's the most likely. Um, I think at the moment we not- could win it at Bournemouth, but that might have changed. That was maybe before yesterday. I think that, that would be fantastic. The, the fun, be the fun thing that no, I want to win it at Middlesbrough midweek. That is that is the dream. <laughs> I'd quite like to win it. thing that could happen, which a mate pointed out to me, it's was just a that- dream because it's Middlesbrough midweek. You know, it'd probably be about two fans there, known according to the QPR police, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll we'll win the league there. What I really want to happen is us to be already promoted by the time we play Bournemouth, and then we purposely lose to them. We obviously beat them and then lose to Blackburn in that sort of quick succession of period just to make sure that Bournemouth don't don't get. But at this rate, you know, as we as we looked at, it could be QPR who end up getting that top two, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we don't want to let them. Be unbelievably go, you know, fun to win it at Loftus Road, isn't it? That, oh, yeah, that would have April second of April. Could we win the league at Loftus Road? That I would be well in front of. The- yeah, winning the league at Loftus Road would be great. Um, I mean, it's probably the away ground I've probably got the best record at being a Fulham fan. I think I've only seen us lose there once. So I hope if we, yeah, we, I said Middlesbrough away, QPR away. I said Bournemouth. I said Bournemouth would be great. I mean, whenever we win the league, it's good. It will be great. I just would, I would love it to be in something we've sort of got even more of a vested interest in apart from the game. So whether it is going getting one over QPR or if it is doing it against Scott Parker's Bournemouth, I think it would be sensational. The the fun thing that could happen that a mate pointed out to me is that we we win it the week before we get to Bournemouth and they have to give us the guard of honour. That would be and Scott Parker standing at the end of it. That would be that would be pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean Jack in two thousand and one when we won the league there was a parade. We got a bus out. Um do you reckon we'll uh, we'll see similar scenes this time around if Fulham win the league? Uh, that would that I think that'd be quite good to be fair. Because imagine on a bus, M- Moon is on the old uh, on the old orcs playing some round. Have you seen the video going around of him? Some TikTok of him dancing. Some TikTok, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You were probably at that parade, Farrell, were you? I don't think I was actually. Uh, no, I wasn't at that one. Um, so looking forward to a new one. Maybe that. What do you reckon? A bigger shit housery would be this bus that would be called Scott Parker or something like that. Like yeah, they changed yeah. the number plate on it to like P4R, P4. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'll be fun. Absolutely. And, and they call it HMS piss the league as well. That'd be good. Yeah, absolutely. It is to be fair. <laughs> right. All that's left to do, Faz, is for you to name this podcast. Uh, the orders are all yours. Oh, thank you. Um, do you know what? It was such a like reading through them again. It's such a tough choice. There were some absolute bangers that were submitted submitted uh, this week. Um, you know, like the 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 our money's worth from thirty frames is a quality one. But you know, it's been a long, long time coming for 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 Richard Bamber to to name this pod, and then I'm going to go with his one, two, three. I think it would look really, really good as the pod title as well. Okay, it would look good on the pictures. That's what you're working for, is it? You're a you're a, you're oh, a man yeah, exactly. Graham. A man for the yeah. gram. Right. That is everything from today's Villamish podcast. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Don Betts. No worries, mate. 
Thank you very much to Jack Stroudley. Congratulations on a wonderful debut. <laughs> Cheers, mate. And thank you, of course, to Secretary Farrell Monk. Uh, as Rodrigo Muniz would say, obrigado, Jack. Obrigado. Absolutely correct. Uh, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish Podcast uh, as another win for the Whites. This time up at the Potteries sees us go eight points clear at the top of the championship table. And if that isn't a reason for celebration, then I don't know what is. Thanks for listening. We will see you later on in the week. Take it easy. Harry Wilson, Mitrovic and Eskins. <laughs>